Can you name a city that hosted a game at the 2002 World Cup? She would say Tokyo. Out straight away. Whoa! Oh, what are the greatest answers of all time? OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. The GAA Roadshow Series on OTB Sports. With thanks to Guinness 00. 100% Guinness, 0% alcohol. More social occasions off the GAA pitch are yours for the taking. Ladies and gentlemen, could you please put your hands together for your hosts for the evening, Willow Callahan and Valerie Wheeler, and also two imports, two stars of the hurling pod, Paul Murphy, four-time All-Ireland winner, and James Scow, All-Ireland winning goalkeeper. A very good evening, Limerick. Welcome along to Dolan's. Here with thanks to Guinness Zero Zero, a roadshow. We've brought the hurling pot along with us. Valerie, welcome to the team. Thanks, lads. I feel like I'm crashing in a small bit. I'm surprised they left a woman here. <laughs> uh, we've decided to bring James Gell, first of all, into enemy territory, given he was part of the 2017 Galway team that won the All-Ireland and then the team that lost to Limerick 12 months later. And he's worn maroon. Yeah, I'm wearing, I'm wearing my colours <laughs> in enemy territory. <laughs> And then, uh, even more so, if you want some kind of comical booze here, we brought a four-time All-Ireland winner and four-time All-Star in Paul Murphy, who is also part of the last team to beat Limerick in the Championship in 2019 in the semi-final. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a handy enough win that evening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one pulling up, I think. Uh, some, something about a sideline at the end, I can't remember it now. But, uh, but yeah, no, but I, I bumped into... Uh, actually, uh, it's, it's not so long ago since I bumped into a few of the hurlers. We're actually way in... In January there, I think it was, um, just after I got married, we went away for a few days. And we went over to Andorra. I think fucking half the country went, nearly went to Andorra at the end of, at the start of January there. But um, when we were there, we arrived, myself, Conor Fogarty and Walter Welch, where our partners went. And um, myself and Conor Fogarty were in a bar the first evening. And over came some lad and he goes, do you know Sean Finn and Groad Higarty are here? And I was like, no, but like, what do you want me to do with that? Like, you know? and <laughs> so th this seemed to be like, we were, we were kind of going grand, yeah, grand, no bother. And uh, it, ha it kept going. Like every, every place we went to, lads were going, do you know Sean Finn and Groot Higarty are here? And they meant like on the side of the mountain, not like they're in this bar here, you know. But um, if, if, you want, if you want any proof to how good Sean Finn is at sweeping up, like we all know how good he is as a player and sweeping up ball in the back line. The first day we went out skiing, Walter Welch lost his phone. And uh, we only realised, we were skiing for about three hours. He could have lost it anywhere. And there was thousands of people like skiing, do you know. And we, we got back to some bar and we're like, Walter, oh, sure, I'm not going to find that. Like, there's no way I'm going to find it. So I pulled out my phone and one of the boys, Garode, who's actually from Clare, he's living in Kilkenny, texts me and said, I'm after being handed Walter Welch's phone in one of the ski lodges. I said, Jesus Christ, I'll call over and meet you. So we all went over and met him. And uh, we said, geez, how did you find that? Like, the chances here, like of French people and German people and everything here, how did you manage to find it? He said, I didn't find it. Open up the phone and see who found it. And the background was Sean Finn drinking a pint. <laughs> <laughs> a selfie of Sean Finn. <laughs> so if you ever want proof of how good Sean Finn is picking up after an inter-county hurler, that's your proof. But we were just saying, we never met him. We didn't meet him, Garot Hegarty, the whole time. We just said the chances of Walter Welch dropping his phone and one fellow to pick it up is Sean Finn. You can't. Brilliant. So it's, it bodes well for Limerick for the weekend anyway. <laughs> James, as a Galway man, how are you feeling in Limerick tonight? Do you feel safe? 
Oh, I feel very safe. I'm well used to Limerick Territory. I went to college down here, so I know these streets uh, as well as most. But uh, I said I wear my colours. I was packing the shirt this morning, and the wife says to me, are you sure you want to wear that shirt? And I said, I'll go in, chest out. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I think I'm slightly outnumbered here, although I know I've seen our drafting girl down there, Carol, how are you? <laughs> so at least I have one bit, bit of backup. Uh, speaking of chest out, I know that a picture went round recently of the Limerick Carlers. I'm sure everyone has seen it at this stage. We have it. Um, lads, what do you think? James, yourself, what kind of condition are they in? Jeez, Nicky's making me feel bad there now, says. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I've never seen a six-pack in a goalie until now. <laughs> Look, they're in supreme shape. Oh, shit. Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> 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 uh, yes. Are you sure about that? <laughs> that's a, that, that's a four-pack, though. <laughs> oh, lads. So, actually, I did, that, I did that thing, right, because Matt Kinney, the current Dublin manager, we were on the beer one day, and I, obviously it was, it was in the winter months, and he said, look, James, he goes, we need to have a chat about your size. You're definitely the fattest goalie in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, do something about it. <laughs> Here we are. Were you in the gym with the Galway sub-goalkeeper for this? So Colin Cannon was the goalie, and he was yeah. starting out this, uh, this, it was a programme, it was called The Amazing 12 at the time, and he was, he was trying to get a bit of traction on the gym, so he said he needed someone to do it that would probably uh, be known, and put it that way to you. So, the fucker didn't tell me how hard it was going to be. He said, there'd be no problem. He said, just a couple of gym sessions a week. You know, you can come in and use my gym. It'll be all be grand. It was six o'clock gym sessions, five mornings a week, with two running sessions on top of the Galway trainer. And I could only eat fish and green vegetables. <laughs> He's lucky I'm talking to him to this day. I tell you. Did, he, did he tell you about the spray tan? Oh, <laughs> would you believe to see the... <laughs> Valerie? <laughs> I just had to point oh, it out. There is a spray tan there. You can't see it. There's a filter as well. There's definitely a filter yeah, there somewhere. A filter yeah. And the trouble is, we only had enough tan for the front. We went out of the back. Ah, yeah. Good times. Did you think this is going to come back and haunt you tonight? Well, I was coming down and we were chatting away about what's, you know, is there any good stories to put away? And I have a million stories and I don't think I can tell my intention because they're, uh, <laughs> let's say, they involve the law or they involve alcohol or something. <laughs> and Will said, we have a couple of surprises. And I thought, they won't do it to me. And he did it to me. <laughs> How much of a transformation was that for you, considering, like, I presume when you were playing rugby, you probably, did you slim down a bit to playing goal initially and then bulk up a bit again? There? Yeah, so when I was 18, I uh, was playing minors, obviously, obviously minors eight, under 18 that time. And I was playing with uh, the books in in ALSA, say, under 20s, or under 18s, excuse me. And uh, so I was playing the back row, so it was tricky to get up in the weight for the back row, hitting probably 18, 19 stone, which was what I was using for that rugby weight, and then to get back down to get to 15 stone. So on that time, like, I was just telling Murph on the way over, like, I was pushing some weight, but we played a league game, and Patrick Hogan took a penalty on me, and it dribbled in, but I couldn't get down to it. You know, it was like getting down 20 feet to the ball. I was just so muscle-bound and too slow. So Cunningham says to me at the time, then stop, that's no more weights for you or else you're going to be uh, on a J1 for the summer. <laughs> <laughs> right, so Cunningham is what, your second manager at Galway. You had Lucknam before that. How many fingers do I have? Yeah, you had a few. Uh, Lucknam was first, McIntyre was second, oh, yeah. uh, AC was third, Michal fourth, Shane fifth. Out to Graston after that. I went through a few, you only removed one. I went through a few, but it's amazing because when I was, what, uh, what sticks in your brain, like I, I can't remember the last 10 years of my career, you know, just, I, it didn't stick with me, but by God do I remember all the times with Sherlock Mann, you know, a young, impressionable 18 year old thinking this man was a, you know, a semi-god, you know, 
And then when he sees the type of training he put us through, like, you know, obviously Kinney were in the peak of their powers at that time, and I think he got a brainwave that we need to do something different now, you know, in order to take over Kinney. So he instructed the Galway secretary to buy two baseball machines, right? The machine, other machines that shoot out the balls. So this was a fabulous idea. And at the time I said, yeah, this is definitely it. We're, these baseball machines are going to make us speak a kidney. <laughs> so the first day they introduced, uh, Sean Tracy was there, and Louis McQueen, and they were tinkering with this thing out in the middle of the pitch. And I don't know what they were going to do with it, but it, they were shooting the balls up in the sky. And they were going like, much faster than a person would strike the ball. I'll put it that way to you. So they said, right, let's line up there, 21-yard line. We're going to shoot the ball into you just above head height. You have to catch it, turn and score. Goal is inclusive. So we're all trying to make an impression. So Eugene Clune was up first, uh, and we're all lined up in a straight line. And next thing, Sean Tracy just goes, the ball shoots out. Eugene runs out, and it hits his hand. And he just turns around, he goes to this, like that. <laughs> <laughs> and Everett just starts backing up like this. <laughs> no, no, not doing that anymore. And then on the same evening, we said, right, so that drill got cancelled because of the, uh, let's just say the success rate was low. <laughs> so then Sean Tracy goes, right, we put it on the 21. And we'll turn it up and see what the goalies are like. This is the time in O'Helmus now. <laughs> so I'm just waiting for the ball, right? And uh, Colin Cannon, I'm waiting to go in, and Colin Cannon is in there. And again, no helmets. And he goes, right, Sean, ready when you are. And Sean goes, Colin, the ball is in the net. <laughs> <laughs> no way, Sean. I said, I'll retire this minute at 18, I'm 19. I'm out of here if that's the case. So. That was just one of the stories of Joe Clem's time. We'll see if Joe Quaid was willing to step in front of them. Uh, to me, this, that sounds more like Happy Gilmore rather than actual training. If anyone has seen that movie where he has to stand in front of him and gets hit in the head with the ball. Madness. It was like it was Especially with slitters. But then we were, we were training on a horse track as well. You know, like, I'm fond of the horses, don't get me wrong, but I'm not that fond of them. Why, like, why are we on a horse track? So we, we were in Tober in County Clare, and uh, there was a sand arena and like a, a horse track, like, you know? And like, it was in the middle of November, and you're walking to stables, and you can just see the horses going... <laughs> These poor goblins, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, we're talking out the stables, freezing cold, right? And I was wondering where, oh, I'll never forget John Lee. Uh, John Lee is, he epitomizes a city person. You know, he knows nothing about the country. All he can see is Galway City. Once he goes beyond Northern Moor, that's you know, a foreign country. So he used to wear these earphones because he uh, had to wear them because he couldn't concentrate on the running or else he'd, you know, he'd lose his mind, basically. But he was running along one day and he was probably holding up to show us a bit. And look, Nan just roars to him, like, again, John being the city man, he said, Lee. Will you run, you big fat shirley? Like, <laughs> it, the cow, like, you know. <laughs> Lee pulls out, what the fuck is a shirley? He said. <laughs> I just said, keep going, John, keep going. We don't want attention, I don't want us here. But, uh, and then there was another case where there was a massive 35 and a land leveller. So if we weren't going fast enough around the arena, look, Nan would say, start the leveller, he'd say, and the tractor is coming after us. You know? And I'm like, this is what intercounty hurling is, is it? <laughs> so I should have stayed at the rugby. <laughs> so what is Paul, I'm sure you've no stories of Cody like that making you do things. Yeah, no, like we wouldn't have much. Like we, we didn't do anything crazy now out of running horse tracks and stuff like that. But like you know, often we would have said that it was really just what we were doing in the pitch in terms of training and stuff. But like there was like even thinking about it during the week because obviously we were talking about you know what memories do you have of training and stuff. But like obviously our, our the two ones I would have of, of Brian in terms of what intensity was expected of us. The first one was myself and Colin Fenley were in 2011 was our first year on the panel, you know, kind of establishing ourselves. And we were kind of, we were going towards grabbing a jersey, like, and Colin was in corner forward, obviously. But I remember this, this training session, I was corner back, Noel Hickey was full back, and then Jackie was in the left corner. And like, you know, you just follow Noel's lead, just absolutely clean in front of you and go out and hurl away. But Colin got a ball and he just turned 
and he turned for goal and he stuck it over the bar and kind of, you know, I suppose got the extra yard on Jackie, like, you know, and Jackie didn't like that and you could see Jackie, you know, he'd grit the teeth once, you do it once, but you won't do it again. So next thing, Colin got a ball again, turned it, went in past Jackie and Jackie, he was going past him and Jackie just turned the hurl sideways and just swung. Now, wherever he connected, I don't know, but he busted, he busted Colin mm. and Colin kind of hit the deck and Brian goes, Jackie, don't do it. Colin, get used to it. <laughs> and we kind of just, that was it, like, lads just got up and went down with it. But, uh, and not to be, like, Jackie was obviously a savagely skillful player, like, but there was obviously, like, we had, we had, like, you'd have your crack in the dressing room and stuff, but uh, we, um, Martin Fogarty was another great man, like, who was, who was in our dressing room, selector with Brian, like, and he was just, he was so quick-witted, like, but one of the nights we were coming in off the pitch in Olin Park, and again, it was around 2014 or something like that, but, um, Jackie couldn't find his helmet, like it's black micro, every, nearly every lad had a black helmet at the time, couldn't find it. Martin Fogarty came into the dressing room and he was like, uh, lads, we just check your bags there? Uh, Jackie's after losing the helmet there, it's a black micro and has Richie Hogan's blood all over it there. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was kind of, we never did anything too elaborate like, you know, but there was, it was definitely what we were doing was savagely intense like. What's Cody like in a week like this? Even thinking back to maybe 2019 where you guys were like massive underdogs coming into that game against Limerick and then you put in you know, a generational performance, even for all that Kilkenny have succeeded with. That first half performance particularly is as well as you've probably hurled under yeah. Cody. What's he like on a week like this, getting ratcheting up maybe that intensity ahead of a big game? Yeah, like I think a lot of players feed off Brian and that. Um, like he loves this kind of a week and he loves the kind of the challenge of it. Um, his hunger for it, I, think, I don't think anyone really has a grasp of it in terms of you know, just how hungry he is. I mean, he's at it how many years? 21, 22 years now. But like the week of that match, certainly, like he's great at reading the room in terms of knowing what players, one player might be playing his first All-Ireland semi-final, another player might be playing his 10th one. So he's excellent at reading what to say to what players. But what he's, what he's really good at, I suppose, is laying down exactly where the team are, like in terms of what faces you. Like he's a great speaker and what he does do really well is that when you have those team meetings, and I think that's something that you could never explain to someone in a dressing room or outside when people ask you what he's like, exactly how much he hits the nail on the head the week of a match. Like you'd hear a pin drop often, we'd have a team meeting. And Brian would just talk very plainly and what you see on the, on the sideline isn't necessarily what you see in a team meeting. He's a great way with words, but when you leave a team meeting after the name the team or whatever and lads are disappointed and lads are delighted and different things, Brian is invariably after hitting the nail on the head which is a huge thing. So I remember leaving Friday, the Friday before we played, or I think, sorry, maybe it was the Thursday, I can't remember after we played Limerick, it was a Saturday evening. But before playing, I remember saying, there's probably only about 30 lads that actually think we have a chance of beating this Limerick team. And part of that was down to, yeah, what we did in training and the belief we had, but Brian maximizing what he had and the team in front of him. So like the week like this now, he'll be just tunnel vision in terms of the challenge in front of him. And he'll, he'll love it, he'll love facing, Claire, Claire probably tipped a little bit more than Kilkenny, but that's, he, he just thinks Crow Park, All-Ireland semi-final, this is where you want to be like, so it's just, I'd say, he's, it's, it's like a duck to water to him this week, really. What's it like getting maybe a phone call from him and maybe having the one-on-one -on -one chats with him? Are, you, are people afraid of him? What do you think of the new young lads on the team? Would, they, would you think they'd be afraid of him? I tell you, like, well, the KGB could, you know, they could draft him there anyway, because he's great at interrogating lads, like, you know, he, uh, <laughs> He, he has a great, he has a way about him, he just plays it right down the middle, he doesn't play any expression like, you know, and I think you kind of have to have one or two meetings with him first, because we do, we did have meetings like, let's say, during the years and stuff, and there is, there's a line between yourself and Brian, like, you know, it's not like mm. you hear with other managers where they're obviously, and it's great, like, you know, John Kiley seems to be, you know, a 
authoritarian, but he is seems that to have a good... Is that a professional distance, Paul, that he I think it is. I think that's just the way Brian felt it over the years, how he's going to manage it. But, you know, you'd have a meeting with him. I remember the first meeting I had, I just, I kind of went in and I was like, I'll tell him what, he, what I think he wants to hear. But that's, as you figure out, after all, that's not what the way to deal with Brian. And the time that I felt the best meeting I would have ever had with Brian was, it was after the Leinster final in, sorry, the league final in 2011. I was brought on for the last 10 minutes. Felt I was going really well in training. They brought me on. They started me against Wexford in the league. Felt I did the job I was asked to do, but yet I wasn't starting in the league. I wasn't starting whatever. So I went in basically fairly pissed off into the meeting. I just said to Brian, I was like, well, like I'm doing what you're expecting me to do, but you are starting other lads instead of me. And like suddenly I think Brian was saying, this is what I want. Like This is the person Someone I want in front of me. Someone stand up to him. Yeah, I don't, well, not even stand up, but like, that you're basically the person who goes in and says, oh, I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do whatever. Like that, there's a little bit of bullshit involved in that. But I think when you go in and you say, Brian, well, look, I'm training this way. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm out in front of my man. I'm hurling away. But you're starting this, lad. You give me 10 minutes towards the end of a league final. What do you want the fella to do when we're nine points down? So I think he was kind of going like, That's, this is the reaction I'm looking for. You know? So Brian is very straight up. And I think if you, if you stay at it and you stay kind of, I suppose, plugging away, Eventually, he'll come to the stage where he, he, he kind of tears that away and you have a meeting with him and you just talk very frankly. And that's what he's looking for. He's looking for a genuine kind of response to, to gauge where you are, really. Yeah, we're delighted to be here tonight in Limerick with thanks to Guinness Zero Zero. 100% Guinness Zero percent alcohol. More social occasions off the GA pitch are there for the take. And we've got a brilliant night lined up. We're going to have Podge Collins, Jamie Wallace a bit later on. We're also going to be talking to your own with Joe Quaid and with Fiona Hickey in a little bit. Was Mial Donahue the best goal manager you worked with then? He was, yeah. Uh, because like, in terms of management, and I, I, can, I can understand what Murph was saying, like, there's a professional distance that managers keep from players. If you get too close, you can nearly be accused of being a friend, you know, and then you can say the professional side of things gets, I suppose, gets jeopardised somewhat. But Michal was very good at... Uh, at uh, and I'll come back to this now, but Joe Smith gave us a talk before, and he said that if you're happy off the pitch, you'll be good on the pitch. You know? So if everything around your life is, is going well, whether it be personal relationships, children, job, uh, education through college, etc. He said nine times out of ten that'll translate into you being able to maximise your performance on the pitch. Mihal was brilliant at that. He was brilliant at, at, at doing that from number one. Not just the players, but even the people around him, the kit man, bus driver, everyone was, was at the top of the game at the time Mihal was over us. And uh, even for me, like, I, I had great battles with Cullum over the years. The two of us would be neck and neck. I would often feel like I should be in goals. Cullum would be the same way. But Mihal had this way of just keeping the two of us going at each other to produce the best we could produce, you know? And he did that for everyone. I, I always felt with Michal there was no favourites, whereas with some other managers, you would always say, that guy has two or three favourites, regardless of their performance. So to answer your question, Michal was the best. And that translated to an Ireland, and I, I won't say a regret, but definitely be disappointed we didn't come away with more. You yeah. know, I, 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 I do feel that if Michal got um, better resourcing, we, we should have got two, if not three. Because it wasn't an easy time for him to come in. Because, I mean, we've spoken with this in the pod before, but it's like, you guys were very clear that you wanted to change at the time that Anthony Cunningham left, that there was a majority in the panel that felt the change was going to be required if you were going to go over the line. Because you'd had a few near misses in the five years before the switchover management happened. There was pressure both on the panel and on Michal to come in and pretty much deliver straight away. Because if not, you would have been known as the rebellious panel who didn't deliver on ousting the manager. Yeah, and that, that, that was a difficult time now for everyone because mm. um, I suppose you have an awful lot of traditionalists in Hurland and in football too that will say players play, managers manage and leave, leave, leave it at that. You know, players shouldn't be getting involved in, I won't say decision making, but even impacting a decision like that. But at the time we got to the final in 15 against Murphy, I would say, we were up at half time, 
Jackie gave a great speech to Emily, let's say. We thought we were in a good position, and these fucking devils came in cautious, like. But they, they won by you know, a relatively comfortable margin in the end, right? But we felt that us as players got there. Do you know what I mean? In, and, and we said if we got more support and more structure in place, better structure, should I say, more professional structure, that we'd go to the next level. And so we decided as a group, it's time to move on. And that was a tough decision. We, uh, we I suppose, from, from a case from, from, from the outsiders looking in, we were nearly castasized because why are they doing this? This is not their forte, they shouldn't be at this. But we stuck with it. And the decision came, eventually stepped down over a course of time. And we actually went to Boston that winter to play the Super Seven. Evans, yeah, yeah, yeah. against um, Dublin. Ended in a mass brawl, right? Which was, which was good, you know, because we, like, we all came together. That, that journey, right, we went out by ourselves with the kit man, you know what I mean? Who we fucking love, like, you know, Tex. When we came back really, really bonded. So Michal came into a group, he said, this is my group, no one's getting dropped, let's go after it. What sparks a brawl against Dublin then? Like you mentioned, you playing bloody <laughs> Super 11s, having a bit of crack in Boston. I'll tell you what, I, I blame the referee, right? Because you actually cleaned the lad from about 100 Hold on a second, hold on. <laughs> I remember the video of you coming in, like it's the fastest I've ever seen you run in your life. Though. You're just, <laughs> a Dublin lad is there to be cleaned, and you decide you're going to break the Lucky speed Lucky the pitch was short. Too. <laughs> so I walked out of breath when I got there. It was a rook, I got confused. <laughs> went what for happened? the ball. We and Andy Smith went for a walk around Boston, and then we meet the two refs, and we said, listen, what's what's good here, like, how hard can we go, what's the rules, what are, what are the public going to want? And he goes, the ref said, you know Americans, they love a bit of argy-bargy. And he said it to me and Andy Smith, who were probably the two worst fellows in the panel for aggression. Okay, so, so the next thing, Andy, Rao kicks off, and I just said, fuck it. <laughs> I said, I'm going for it, I said, I'm going for it. But I, one of the Dublin players had said something to me, right, that pissed me off in 2011, to beat us in Tullamore. And I was said, I'm going to get this fucker, all right? And I was looking for him, right? But all the fucking helmets were the same colour. Right? <laughs> and his name, his name, right, was R. So, and all the, all the numbers were in alphabet, they, they translate alphabetically with the name. So I was saying, which fucker? I'm running down and I'm going, which fucking one is he? <laughs> and I just said, all right, let's go. And then just cleared out some fella. <laughs> Don't know who it was. It wasn't our, but it's It wasn't the team. Like, and I got up, let's say, and I was tangling. And like, I get on well with Liam Rush. And I went, oh, Liam, I'm sorry, I said. And he goes, I'm sorry, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked away. I love the way, with the week that's in it, of you know, refs under scrutiny and different things and whatever, that you asked the ref, what are the rules? And he said, uh, you know Americans. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, sure. But the crowd went crazy. But I, I blame the Americans. Right? Those pesky Americans. Because they put on Dropkick Murphys. Do you know that song? Yeah, yeah. Shipping out to Boston. Fucking place went mad. Yeah. Right? So, so we had to go after them. Just, we, we give them what they wanted. That's what I'd say. Yeah. And they brought us back the following year. Before we let you go, we'll get you back up later. And speaking of trips, Paul, yourself, you went on a few All-Star trips and you met the likes of Declan Hannon there and maybe a colleague of mine at hate show under the bus, but I'd love to in a way if you want we to share. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was telling about you during the week. Um, it was my first, my first All-Star trip in we went to San Francisco 2011. I'm sure I, I was 22 at the time, but Declan Hannon was on it. And like, look, at he was a baby at the time. I think he was in Leaving Cert, you know. And uh, sure, himself and Louise, now his fiance, were there. And I think both of them were 18. But Don O'Grady, obviously Limerick, I know we're in Limerick, but you have to clear that it's Don O'Grady, Limerick. He had this story that he absolutely loved telling, so I'll give him the copyright on that one. Basically, at the All-Stars that year, Declan Hannon was up for Young Hurler of the Year. So again, they arrived on the night himself and Louise, and sure, like, they were basically kind of, there was lads coming at them from all angles, there were footballers, no other way to be now, there's hurlers, and you kind of, yourself, you'd actually find it hard to even catch some lads' names. But Louise was sitting at a table anyway, 
and she kind of went, uh, she, she was struggling to catch a few lads' names, so she turned to Don O'Grady, was like, Jesus, I feel bad here, I don't, like, I don't know his name, or I don't know his name, and Don O'Grady said, listen, best way to do here now is ask him his name, and when he says his name, say, fuck it, I didn't know you were with the helmet, it says bulletproof for hurlers, like, you know, <laughs> so she was like, Jesus, that's, that's fucking great, and yeah, yeah, brilliant, so she was sitting there anyway, and next thing, who sits down beside her, only Joe McMahon at Tyrone, Tyrone cornerback, like, so, <laughs> So she was there going, uh, Matt Farage, yeah. Ah, Shall I talk to this one? I said, well, how are you getting that? Sorry, what's your name? He goes, ah, Joe, my man, Tyrone. Fuck it, Joe, I didn't know you looked at helmet there. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm not joking you, when we were in San Francisco, Don O'Grady was walking around the group, sitting in with lads going, here, lads, do you hear this one? It was the author. Poor Louise. We did want to make sure the story was true. I had, to, I had to check with it during the week because I said, fuck, that's 11 years ago now. So I, I, sent, I sent Valerie a voice note during the week. I said, listen, will you pass this on to Louise? I haven't talked to her since that trip. So I said, in my mind now, I could have added legs to that. But it turns out that's exactly how it happened. So, so she said she was the worst wag, <laughs> wag ever. So I she... think Don already still telling the story. He thinks it's the best one. Oh, like. It's classic Louise, in her hit. I trust you entirely. Two lads from the Hurling Pod, James Scahill. Paul Murphy, they're going to be back up a little bit later on to look forward to the semi-finals. Lads, for now, thanks a million for joining us on stage. Put your hands together for the two boys.